Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masechet Psachim, daf Ayin, page 70. Our daf continues in some of the issues of the Korban Chagia and the Korban Pesach. And we're told that there's a dilemma that was raised before Chazali, Bailahu Levent Hima. It was the, a question, according to the opinion of Ben Tema, Ben Tema is one of the sages that we find in Pirkei Avot. And I'm not really sure why he's here. You know, except for that he has something to say about it. But, uh, you know, it, it's not that he's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that he's any more expert than anybody else. And I found it actually interesting that he's, as we'll see, becomes an authority on this stuff. I mean, he's an authority always, but an authority on these particular topics. So the question is, do we, is the, is the Korban Chagiga, the Shlamim, should, does it need to be roasted or does it need to be, not roasted, right? Meaning the carbon pesach has to be roasted. So then the question is, how does that can how does that compare to the other carbon that's going to be brought that night? Should it be cooked in a different way, or should it be specifically roasted? And of course, the question here is connected to to is it all meat on that night needs to be roasted, or is it specifically the carbon pesach needs to be roasted? So what happens? We say that the God, the Torah, compares the Chagiga to the Korban Pesach in regard to not leaving any overnight, meaning you have to finish it at night or whatever's left over, too bad, it's gone. So in that capacity of the overnight factor, the Shlamim and the and the Pesach are the same. But in regard to being roasted, we don't have that kind of uh, comparison. Um, oh, Dilma Loshna, or meaning that's one possibility, meaning that we're going to align the the roasting factor together with the not leaving overnight factor? Or are we going to say, no, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, there's no distinction, rather, between one and the other, that one could be roasted and the other not roasted. Rather, we're going to say they need the same terms. So the Gemara says, Tashma, halayla tzali. So one of the reasons I particularly like this as an answer is that this is really what we'll call the fifth question, right? Everybody knows the four questions from the from the Seder night. And in the Gemara and the Mishnah, there's five questions because the fifth question is about the Korban Pesach. And we don't ask that nowadays because we don't have a Korban Pesach. So it seems, you know, really, I don't know, even a little offensive, right? Offensive to the Seder itself, I mean, to say, and what's the story with the Korban Pesach? And the answer is no, that's embarrassing. We don't have a Korban Pesach. We don't have a temple. So the Gemara here suggests that this question of meaning the, the formulation, the wording of that fifth question, perhaps provides an answer to the question about the shlamim. Does it have to be roasted or could it be not roasted? So what happens? The, the question itself says, I mean, why, why are these things different from all other nights? The implication being all the meat of the Seder night is going to be roasted. And there we've got an answer. Meaning that answer is is very straightforward that the Chagiga needs to be roasted as well. And then Rav Chista comes and says, well, that's Ben Tema, meaning Ben Tema's position is in fact that the Shlamim, on, when offered on the 14th day, um, must be roasted the same way that the Gorban Pesach must be roasted. And so the Gemara concludes, Shmamina, and it's actually the language of a conclusion, Shmamina, learn from this that indeed the Shlamim has to be roasted the same way the Gorban Pesach has to be roasted. Now, Ben Tema shows up in another few dilemmas on this stuff. And I just find that, you know, it's the same 
it's not the same kind of thing because that's just the one question. But the question of, you know, where does the carbon have to come from? Could it come from the herd? Does it, if, if one is female, do they both have to be female, the animal itself and the carbon, right? And then um, I'm just looking quickly to see what other types of questions are asked here. If the knife that is that you're going to find in Yerushalayim on the 14th day of Nisan, can you use it right away or do you have to go and total it to make sure that it is no longer or that you're not at risk of it being impure? Right. So there's several different kinds of preparatory issues going on here. I happen to find this one that I that I just now shared to be the most um, succinct in representing exactly the, the nature of these kinds of questions. And in fact, the fact that they could answer it. Yeah, I, it was a great little passage here that I think is, you know, I love the piece with the Manishtana, that there seems to be other questions. And I, all throughout Masachat Sachim, I feel like that's kind of the piece we've been missing, is like what really went on during the Seder. So it was nice to see it sort of acknowledged for the first time. I mean, think about how far in we are. And that piece, which is really our experience of Pesach, is finally talked about. The only other thing I would add about Ben Tema is, you know, I it's, uh, from what I understand, I think he's Yehuda ben Tema, um, who's mentioned in Perkei Gavos, um, in Perkei, Mishnah, it's around Chav, Chav Aleph, Chav Bet. Uh, you know, he's famous for um, talking about, you know, at what age you should learn certain things, that at age five, you should start Torah, at age 10, you start Mishnah. He also has that very famous Mishnah, you know, how to, you know, you should be this like a leopard and this like an eagle. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I agree with you, Anne. He's not. Oz Kanamer. What? Sorry. I said Oz Kanamer. Yes, yes. Thank you. But he's not what I would, I would agree with you. He's not sort of like a well-known Tana. And it's interesting that he takes this really different opinion than all of the other Chachamim. Um, I'm going to. And yeah. asking like him. Right. Or at least so far. Right. So far, we were like, that was what was interesting to me. Not that he has an opinion, but that he becomes. The, it's a very different opinion and it becomes authoritative. Right. It, it, it is definitely interesting. Um, I'm going to move on to something just at the top of Amud Bet. So the Gemara had brought down this Mishnah about if you find a knife or a meat cleaver on the 13th, you know, you have to assume that it's Tameh and you would have to make that item Tahor. Whereas if you found it on the 14th, you know, you could assume for sure the knife is Tahor. The question is, you know, what do you do about the meat cleaver? Because, you know, you can't break the bone of the Korban Pesach. So why would someone have immersed the meat cleaver? And they go back and forth with all these different scenarios. And one of the scenarios that they want to think about is, is when would it be that there would be a situation where the owner would basically assume that the Korban Pesach that year was going to be brought bituma, right? That, 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 and, and I like this question because we had talked about in the previous Tapim uh, you know, this idea, I believe it was, it was on 67, that the whole congregation, right, the Korban Pesach is an interesting Korban, because if the whole congregation is Tameh, we still can bring it Bituma, even though ordinarily, if an individual is Tumat Mate, they have to wait till Pesach Sheni. But if the majority of the congregation is Tumat Mate, uh, then we, we still bring the Korban Pesach at the correct time. And, you know, I, we didn't raise it then during the podcast. But one of the questions, obviously, is, where would you have a situation where everybody would be Tameh? And the Gemara gives us the answer here, but I think it's a very unusual answer. So the answer here they give is Demet Nasi, right? We're talking about a case where the Nasi died. Demet Nasi Amit. So the Gemara then asks, wait, but how do you know, or when exactly would you know that the Nasi is going to die? Um, Ilmale Demet Bishlashasar. Let's say he died on the 13th. 
Sakin Lamali de Matbile, right? Why would the owner have sort of immersed the knife on the 13th if he knew that already Pesach was going to be brought in a state of Tuma? And let me just back up. The one thing to know about the Nasi here, which I didn't explain, is that if the Nasi, who's the head of the Sanhedrin, dies, right, what the Mepharshim explained here is, is that everybody, all the Jewish people would have to go to the funeral and basically everybody would be made tummy. So this is the example of where the whole, you know, community would basically be made tummy, which would be basically, you know, to give the Nasi the funeral uh, that he deserves. So if he died on the 13th, right, there's no chance that the owner would have immersed the knife at all because he knew already that, you know, the Korban Pesach this year was going to be brought in a state of Tuma. The Ella de Mesbar Basar, but let's say the Nasi died on Erev Pesach itself on the 14th, right? This also is difficult. Why? Um, because, you know, it's, no, sorry. So it's saying, let's say that it died, you know, he died on the 14th. But again, this is difficult because you were anticipating that it still was going to be brought in a state of Tahor, right? So what would distinguish a night that somebody maybe, you know, immersed on the 13th, Umaishna Kufitz de Lomat And what would distinguish the cleaver, right, that you did not immerse on the 13th? So in other words, the assumption either has to be, right, that the owner needed a Tahor night to slaughter the Korban Pesach. So then he also would assume that he needed this Tahor cleaver and also to, you know, for the for the Korban Chagiga. Because remember, they're trying to figure out if the Korban Chagigo, also you can break the bone here. Um, and so then they go on to say, no, this is the case. Here's the Mishnah that, that they're trying to figure out here. This is, it's only needed for this particular case. So a Goseis is a particular halachic category, right? It's somebody who's like literally on the verge of death. So on the 13th, the Nasi is on the verge of death. And therefore the assumption is, is that he's not going to survive the 14th. He's going to, he, at any moment, he could basically die, right? So therefore, the owner, his thinking is, he better quickly go immerse all his utensils on the 13th, right? Sakin dechad sveka, right? So the knife, right, which is going to need to be used basically on the 14th, okay, is just one suffix. It's one uncertainty, right? It's whether or not the nasi is going to die. Matbile, right? So the owner is going to go ahead and he's going to... um he's going to tovel it. So that's why we could assume that it would be toveled. Kofit's a trace fake, but the cleaver, right, has two uncertainties, okay? So what are the two uncertainties, right? The two uncertainties here, and, and make sure that I'm saying this correctly, is that if the Nasi, right, if the Nasi dies, no Chagiga is going to be brought at all because the Korban Chagiga is not brought when everybody's in a state of Tumat. That's only true of the Korban Pesach. And therefore, you're not going to need the bro- this, you know, the cleaver, which is the bone breaking thing. But if the Nasi stays alive, right, then the, the Pesach portions, right, we, we have to assume maybe they're going to be large enough for everybody, or maybe they won't be. And if but if they're large enough, you're not going to need the Chagiga at all. So the point here is there's a lot of unknown if the Nasi is about to die. But on the 13th, Everyone's going to go ahead and make sure to immerse this knife, right? And make sure that it's at a state in Tara because we're just not sure about the Nasi's condition, okay? But he wouldn't bother to do it with the cleaver because we're not sure about that Nasi's condition. And we're also not sure about the Pesach portion size. 
So there's sort of like two unknowns when it comes to the Chagiga, but there's only one unknown when it comes to the Korban Pesach. So for one suffix, you'll bother to immerse it. But for two suffixes, you will not bother to immerse it. And this is the way they understand why the assumption of this Mishnah is that we had all the way in Amar Aleph is that you can assume that the knife was immersed, right? But you cannot assume that the cleaver was immersed. Now, I thought this was a very, we, we've had many cases where we have a Mishnah that the way to understand it is we have to find this one very, very, very unique case, right? We have to whittle it down to like this super specific case. But this particular case, I'm going to say, I don't think it ever happened. Like this is really in the theoretical because if there was a story to illustrate it, they would have brought the story. So, it, And we know who the right, Nasi was. We, Which exactly. Nasi? We would have known who the Nasi was. So I know that many times there are Mishnayos that the Gemara sort of concludes in a way are very specific case. And, and, you know, we always talk about like, is it a boundary? Is it a testing boundary Mishnah, as we like to call it? But there was something about this being a boundary testing Mishnah that they came and created a specific Mishnah just about the Nasi possibly being a Gosais on the 13th. It is really interesting to me. And the fact that it didn't come from a real life example, it's just not totally adding up to me. You know, like it. Well, I would say like I would say two possibilities. One is that, you know, the well, everybody now is a doom scroller. Right. So that's what that's one possibility is that that's what this is to make sure that the worst case scenario is prepared that they have prepared for the worst case scenario and they know what would happen what would happen if everybody would be tummy how could that happen that everyone would like exactly in this way and and so then they've got a conclusion so it's here in the gemara that's one possibility the other possibility and i think it might please you a little bit more yardena is that maybe there was somebody an asi who was ill meaning very seriously ill and they didn't know when he was going to die or whether he was going to die. But maybe he was going to die right on Erev Pesach. And then what would that be? Right? Meaning so, so then, and then he didn't. So then there's nothing to talk about because it just wasn't an issue. Either he must have died however much beforehand or however much after or it became irrelevant for whatever different reason. As opposed to it being so practical, but then it didn't happen. Why would you explore it? Maybe it was really practical, but it then didn't come to pass so they didn't need to name him right so i i think that's an interesting idea but i still think they would have named i don't know i i, I think i think we're both on the same page that there's an interesting question here again we we understand these missions that are boundary testing but this one feels so real life it's interesting that there isn't a real life example um <laughs> it is definitely written in the with without the concrete details that we, we would expect in a meister shahai right in a real and then i just story. want to move on and we've seen some real life stories on this stuff. Ben Tema is a exactly. real life person. And then I want know. to move on to another real life story, which I thought was interesting, which was sort of one of these like interesting things. And I actually tried to do a lot of research on There's not a lot on this, right? Tanya. So that following, then they bring a Brisa, right? Because the Mishnah had said that if the Chagiga falls on the 14th on a Shabbat, it's, a, it's not Docha Shabbos. We don't bring it, right? And so the Brisa tells this following story. Yehuda ben Dortai, Perishu, so we had Yehuda ben Dortai, along with Dortai, his son, right? So his son's name for his father here, separated himself from the rest of the Chachamim. And he went and he stayed in the south. Um, now, the question is, the Mepharshim, you know, talk about, was it just the south of the country of, it, of Eretz Yisrael, or did he actually leave? But the idea being that he's far enough away from the Beit HaMikdash, 
on the 14th, you know, that he would not actually have to bring the Korban Pesach. And so the question is Amar, right? So they want to say, what, what was it special about this year, right? Amar, right? Um, because this is what he was saying, that if the 14th fell on Shabbat, right? Right? So if the Mashiach comes or Eliyahu comes and says to everybody, why did you not offer the Chagiga on Shabbat this year? What will they say to him? He says, I'm, I'm right. I'm like, I'm astonished basically that the two, you know, most important Gedolei Hador, Shmaya and Avtalyon, Shehen Chachamim Gedolim Bedarshin Gedolim, right, who are great scholars and great, I guess I, the Englisher would say like expounders of the Torah, below Amr Lahen Israel Chagiga Docha the Shabbat, and they didn't teach you that the Chagiga also has to be Docha the Shabbat. So basically what he did was, is that he was worried, or I think he's saying this in sort of extreme language, he was upset that the custom basically was, the Chacham and Paskind, that you were not allowed to make the Chagiga Docha the Shabbat. And so he's saying, what is going to happen to us that, you know, Mashiach is going to come, Eliyahu is going to come, and he say, why didn't you guys bring the Chagiga? We're going to be eating our Korban Pesach on Shabbos. And they're going to say, why didn't you bring, you know, your, uh, well, sorry, you actually be eating at Motzei Shabbos, but, right, but he's going to be like, why didn't you bring a Korban Chagiga? Why didn't you get that ready to eat with your Korban Pesach? And so therefore he sort of takes himself out of the picture and says, I'm not even going to be obligated in the Korban Pesach. The one note I want to make about this is, I just want us to go back to the dot that we had recently this past week about Hillel, right? Where we talked about that Hillel also learned with Shmaya and Abtalyon and everyone had forgotten the halacha, you know, about, uh, you know, whether or not the Korban Pesach with Doha had Shabbos. And it's interesting to me that Shmaya and Abtalyon are brought up again here as well. So I think, you know, here he's using it in a different way. He's saying, you're the generation of Shmaya and Abtalyon. You should have known this halacha, right? And I think this is, again, an additional proof that there was some sort of breakdown, you know, during that generation, right? The proof that Hillel has to become who's from Babel. Even the name Shmaya and Abtalyon, you know, they clearly were converts, is what most people say about them. And the fact that it was, you know, at that time when Yichus was more of a thing than it is today, you know, that also would sort of reflect something uh, that it was, you know, two converts who maybe were leading the people. Um, so I just think it's it's very interesting, this story to appear here, because we see that there was some sort of breakdown during that generation when the Beit HaMikdash was still very much there and the Korban Pesach was still very much there. And, you know, the last piece of this as like a solution you know, he didn't try to defy the Chachamim, but he finds like another halachic solution so that he's not obligated. And he, 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 now I don't know what he did, you know, if he did like Pesach Sheni that year, right? Because that's who, those are the two categories of people who do Pesach Sheni is if you're far, you're Richoka, you're far away, or if you're Tameh, but he basically just is like, okay, I'm going to make myself not obligated. I'm purposefully going to leave. So he and his son, uh, so that I do not need to actually bring the Korban Pesach. It's a very interesting story. So the other piece that I found interesting is what you've just said, that this was when the temple was still standing, right? This is an actual korban that he's not bringing, but he would like to be bringing. It's not just a theoretical back in the days of your type of thing, but his case lines up with the Bentema case, which is, you know, a couple of hundred years later. Right. And so 
contrast that with the story of the Nasi, right, which seems to be totally theoretical, even though we feel like there's a missing detail here. You know, this is a very concrete that this is the kind of story I expected to see with the Nasi piece. Maybe we still will. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and some of its stories or lack of stories on the Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.